0: We have been um, spending the, the year focusing on the Christ. We sp- looked at the, the beginning part of the year, looking at the shadow of Christ and um, how Christ had been revealed, how Christ had been revealed um, in the Old Covenant, and, uh, and then we transitioned into the life of Christ, considering um, in the life of Christ, His birth, His uh, youth, His ministry, and as we looked at the ministry, again, we looked at those seven different uh, Segments. Then we moved on to the entry into Jerusalem, his arrest, which we looked again at two weeks ago, and then last week we looked at the crucifixion of Christ. And if you remember, then as we as we transitioned into this the the end phase of his life here, we talked about how that warfare um, was beginning to be really seen. How Satan knew that his his destruction was soon was coming. If if, he, if Christ could offer up that perfect sacrifice on the cross that Satan had lost. And so, as we get into the arrest in the garden and then heading into the crucifixion, how that, that warfare began to intensify more and more and more, but as we look then at the cross and how the world would look at the cross, the world would look at that cross as, as defeat and, and how... He was beaten, but we understand from God's perspective that the crucifixion actually was a sign of of victory, because it was a fulfillment of that which God had prophesied that Christ was going to be, and I think it was Chris that you brought out at the end about Psalm 22 and how all that was was prophetically declared in the Psalms, And, and even into great detail. We didn't spend time with that last week, but it's so exciting, again, just to look at how the Word of God is consistent. All the way from Genesis to, to Revelation. And today we want to move then into past his crucifixion, into two and a half, three days later, into the resurrection of Christ and how Christ was risen from the dead. In a little bit earlier, um, from the book of Luke, but clearly one thing that all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have in common is they all refer to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection that is the 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 cornerstone, if you would, of our faith. Um, the resurrection is important, just we're not gonna really talk about this a whole lot, but just from the perspective that the resurrection gives God's testimony to what? Christ's sacrifice. That's exactly right. Okay? If the the fact is if Jesus died for us and he and he took away our our sins, that's great. But if he didn't raise from the dead, that means you what? He's really... Well, not that you're in, in your sins, but let's say, his, let's say his sacrifice was efficacious. Big word meaning effective, okay? That, that it took away all of our sins now and you could live in, in peace with God today while you're on the earth. But if he didn't raise from the dead, that would mean that when you died, what? We won't raise. And that's all over with. Do you understand? The, our, the good news... The the fulfillment of the good news is not only that you've been redeemed from your sins, but now you can live with God forever, eternally. Isn't, Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's an exciting thing. So now, as we look at the resurrection then, we want to look at it from two perspectives. The first way, very quickly here, is just evidence of the resurrection. Evidence of the resurrection, and again... I feel like I'm I'm teaching a lot of times to the choir, and you've heard of these things a lot, especially the ones that come from the Bible. The first thing I want to present, though, is that the resurrection is a matter of fact. It is a factual thing that we have recorded in history. Now, I understand we're going to see some in a moment, but I understand that most of that recorded in history is recorded where? In the Bible. And most people are going to talk about that, but we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, much testimony that is given to it, and as we go through it, first of all, we see the testimony of the angels. Because it was the woman who go to the, they go to the tomb, right? They go with their spices because they're going to anoint Jesus' body because now it's three days later. And they're going to place the spices upon Jesus' body. But when they get there, they find the, the stone rolled away and they see the angels. And the angels give the first testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know, why are you weeping? You know, you're looking for someone who's what? He's alive. He's not here. He's been risen as he said he would. So the first testimony comes from that of the angels, and it goes to the women, right? Because the women are there at the tomb, and they see that the tomb is, is empty. But not only do they hear the testimony of the angels, and they see then that the tomb is empty, but we read that Mary Magdalene, then later, as she's leaving, she actually meets Jesus, and she perceives him or assumes him to be the gardener, okay? Right, and you have all these verses. You can go read all the four, four um, Gospels and look at this. And, uh, and so he says, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, sir, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking for, for my Lord, you know, and he's not here. But if you've moved him, let me know where he's at. And he says, Mary. And all of a sudden she what? She recognizes the voice, Okay. And so she goes back to tell the disciples. So we have the, the testimony of the, of the angels to the, the woman. We have the testimony of the women who saw the angels, and then Mary Magdalene who saw the Lord herself. But then we have the, the testimony of the disciples. Now we have, the, first of all, the testimony of Peter and John, right, who ran to the, the, um, the tomb, and they saw what? Empty. An empty tomb. But even more importantly, they saw the grave clothes or grave cloths, okay, And they saw the ones that were draped over Jesus, they were just kind of dropped right there. But the one that was covering his face, or his head, was what? It was laid to the side, okay? And there have been a lot of messages on that as far as from the carpentry perspective, that the carpenter would take his cloth and he would fold it up and lay it on the side of the job to show that the work was finished, okay? And so, but anyway, so they go in and they see it, okay? They're still struggling with it a little bit, but later... We read that and as we saw in Luke 24 that Cleopas and his companion they were on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus and while they were on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus what happens We hindsight being 2020 20, we know it was Jesus who joined them but they just had a stranger join them a stranger who seemed to be ignorant of the things were going on in Jerusalem and they say don't you know and so they're not yet necessarily fully convinced of the resurrection, because what would what do we see when, when Steve read that this morning, they begin then to to declare to this stranger the, the events that are going on, and now the women have come back and they've declared what? They've seen the vision and they've seen the Lord and that he's been in resurrection and, and, and you know we're just not quite sure what's going on. And so Jesus said, Oh you foolish people You know, and so he begins to do what? He begins to open up the scriptures to them and show them how it is the Messiah must have suffered. Just like that shadow of Christ, you know, it's kind of a fun thing. It's almost like Jesus did that for them. He took them through the Old Covenant and showed them the shadow of Christ as he came came through. He showed them what Jesus, or what the Christ, the Messiah, should have gone through. And so then he goes and he has dinner with them, and then he does what? He does the breaking of the bread. Okay? He breaks the bread from just like in the, the last supper at the, the Passover celebration, right? And then he and then he has that and then he disappears. And they realize what? We've seen the Lord. And now they stay in Emmaus for another couple days and to really enjoy their time together, right? No. What do they do? They immediately go back to tell the disciples the good news. Okay? That's when you when you begin to realize that Jesus is resurrected, you really what? You're filled with amazement and wonder, and you want to tell people the, the good news. Okay, so they go back. So we have the disciples now, right? And they go back and they tell it. And while they're there telling the disciples, and the disciples themselves, the, the original eleven now, right? They're still kind of, you know, struggling with this, right? And actually, we have ten because Thomas isn't there. And so while they're talking, Jesus comes into the midst, right? And Jesus comes and says, peace I I give unto you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives unto you, give I unto you, but as the Father has given me peace, so I give you my shalom. And as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so, you know, he says, look at my, here's my hands, here's my side, you know, you know, da-da-da-da. And so, they see the resurrected Lord, right? And then there's Thomas, who doubts, right? And so later, Thomas gets his own special um, little tap on the shoulder, saying, Hi Thomas, remember last week when you said that you're only going to believe it, well here I am, you know, but we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in that, that you know, the, the declaration of the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and how he was buried, and how he raised again on the third day according to the scripture, it doesn't end there, we always quote 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, but it doesn't end there, because it says, "In that he was seen." That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen. And then it goes through the listing of the people who had seen him, through the apostles, through the disciples, through, through, from Peter and John, through, you know, Paul says, and I being last among them. But before that he says, and there were 500 all that, one time who were still alive. Okay, So the disciples, and I mean beyond the, the 11 disciples, I'm talking about those who were followers of Messiah, there were well over 500 people who could give testimony in a court of law that they saw Jesus Christ. Think about that. If you were um, Judge Overstreet or one of these judges downtown, and this case was putting me before you, and you had well over 500, close to 600 witnesses, who were coming in to say that, yes, indeed, they saw Don Webster at the candy store. You know? And, well, she could say, I wasn't there, right? But what's Judge Overstreet gonna say? I don't think so. You know, the fact is, 600 people independently all say they saw you, right? Well, isn't it interesting that when we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the world still wants to say what? It didn't happen. You've got all this independent witness going on, people who were doubtful all by themselves in the beginning, and yet then they saw him and they give testimony to it. Well, some of the testimony, I think that is the greatest testimony, is not from the disciples who you would expect to be fabricating this stuff, but what about the guards? Who were there at the moment when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They were there when the stone was... Rolled away. They were there when the angels came. And they fell, as it were, dead themselves, right? And they were powerless to prevent what God had declared would happen. And these are Roman guards, okay? I know they're Roman guards and not necessarily temple guards. Now, there's a debate sometimes between whether these were temple guards that were sent out there or whether they were Roman guards that were sent out there. The reason I believe these were Roman guards and not temple guards is because the chief priests say, and when news of this comes to the Pilate's ears, will back you. Well, if it was temple guards, then Pilate what? Could care less. But these were Roman guards, these were Roman soldiers, and do you know, anybody know what the penalty for a Roman soldier losing his prisoner was? Death. Death. You know what It makes it even worse is when the prisoner's dead. Okay? And so, so they go to the chief priests and they tell them what they saw. I mean, these guys are going to be believers. I, I, I can't imagine how they cannot become believers at this moment after what they saw, Right? And so the chief priests to them what? Them. Don't well, they bribe them, but they say, "Tell everybody that the disciples came at night, and stole them away." Now, can you imagine this? I mean, this is like us going to the 82nd Airborne or to our special forces, to our Ranger unit, and then telling them, "Okay, we want you to fabricate the story, and we want you to say that a bunch of fishermen from the village came in." And they were able to overcome you to take the dead body out of a, of, a, of a sepulcher was sealed with a heavy rock. And a seal around it, right. But that, some debate whether that, was, that seal was concrete. It could be just wax. Because the, the wax, you know, wax would be easy to break off. That's not a big deal. The idea of it was that the signet ring would be there and it would declare ownership. Okay? So that could be easily removed, kind of like a cock going around a door. You still can cut it and still move it. But the rock itself would have been very heavy. And usually they were placed on an angle so that the rock would roll down. And so to roll the stone away would take a little bit extra oomph to, to, to get it out of there. Make sense? Okay? Anyways, but can you imagine, could you imagine some of our, our best trained soldiers willingly saying that a bunch of wimpy fishermen overcame them? These are the best trained soldiers in the world. And the guards themselves had the testimony of what happened. Now this is kind of interesting, but you have these these quotes on your sheets because I wanted you to have them. But this is a testimony of Roman historians from about 70 years later, 80 80 years later. First we have from Tacitus, uh, Publius Cornelius Tacitus, who was a historian of Rome, okay? And so in his history of Rome, in his annals, in book 15, um, and in paragraph 44, if you want to go check it out, I've got it on my computer. You can check it out later. I've got um, his book 15 downloaded. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report, oh, I should give you context here. Um, he's writing now about Nero. And Nero, were, was it was believed at the time that Nero burned Rome down. Because Nero was kind of deranged, right? And so that, that Nero himself was burning Rome. And so everybody was against Nero, but Nero had a what? It, it, was, it was politics, so you got to find a scapegoat. You got to find somebody else to blame, right? It happens today, and it happens back then. I mean, it's just all the same. And so he chose to blame the Christians. Okay, so here is here is Tacitus's version of of all that. Okay, he he says it pretty clear, straight out. That's pretty good. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. So what's Tacitus saying? It wasn't the Christian's fault. You know, do you get it? I mean, this is a Roman historian, okay? And so he says, um, Christians by the populace. Christus, that's Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for a moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Guess what that superstition was? The resurrection. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so even though the report went out and they tried to squelch it at first, Jesus kept what? Appearing to more people. And now all of a sudden you've got 600 witnesses. It's kind of hard to shut up 600 witnesses. You know, Timmy wants to go into the FBI witness protection program here, you know? And so they, they go out and they put guards around witnesses, you know, because these witnesses are important. But what if you got 600 witnesses? I mean, that's a lot of people that to, to, to have to go out and wipe out in order to, to cover your tracks. Rome couldn't do it. Even though, and, and, and the and the Jewish leaders couldn't do it. And so even though they tried to squelch the testimony in the beginning, they couldn't do it. To the point that all of the known world at the time had heard of the superstition. Okay, This is kind of fun, too. This is from Pliny the Younger. Pliny was the governor of Bithynia, or Pontus, during the the reign of um, Emperor Trajan. And he had a lot of writings going back and forth, correspondence with Emperor Trajan. And specifically, when there was a, a breakout, if you would, of Christianity in Bithynia and Pontus. Now, it had been breaking out, but it, again, like we read in the scriptures of what was going on in Ephesus and Philippi and stuff like that, where it was starting to get into the trade, you know, people were weren't going to the temples anymore, and they weren't buying the idols anymore, and all of a sudden it started causing social upheaval, okay? Well, Pliny says to Trajan how he handled this, okay? And so I want to read this, because it's really kind of interesting. It says, meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. Why? For I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, in other words, I have no clue what they believe, whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexible obstinacy, obstinacy surely deserved to be punished. What's he saying as the governor? That if... I bring you in, and you're not willing to believe as I believe. Oh, and, and he would say that he was probably what? He he was Plenty would say that he probably was what? Very, um, oh, what's the word I want right. to... Tolerant. He was very tolerant, I'm sure. But these Christians were what? Intolerant. And so, don't, I mean, doesn't it sound like today? They bring you in, and if you won't denounce Jesus, so you must be very what? Intolerant. And so I'm going to be intolerant of your intolerance, and so I order you to be executed. Pretty awesome stuff, huh? And you think it's all new today. There's nothing new under the sun. So we continue on in his writing here, um, in this letter, and it says, those who denied that they were or had been Christians um, when they invoked the gods in words dictated me, offered prayer with incense and wine to your image which I had ordered to be brought for this purpose altogether with statues of the gods. Moreover, and cursed Christ, none of which, those who are really Christians, it is said, can be forced to do. A testimony of an unbelieving governor. Isn't that interesting? These are things that true Christians won't be able to force to do. They won't deny Christ. They won't bow their knee to another God. And they won't offer a sacrifice to him. Do you get it? Pretty interesting stuff. These, I thought, should be discharged. The ones who what? The ones who denied Christ. The ones who would do that. He said, I let them go. Because they weren't what? They weren't really Christians. I don't know if you've been here long enough, but there are one of my favorite Greek words is the word dokamos. And then there's the other Greek word that goes with it, adakamos. Now, I understand that dokamos and adakamas go together because the the adakamos is just made up of two Greek words, a and dokamos. The the Greek word a means? Not. It means not. So, adakamos means not dokamos. Well, we want to know what does the word dokamos mean? Well, the word dokamos means to be tested and proven genuine. And so adakamos means that you've been tested and proven not genuine. It's the lady who walks around with the big stone, you know, the white gem that sparkles all over the place, and you know, and everybody's oohing and awing, and one day the, the jeweler, you know, she meets the guy and says, oh, my, my lady, what a marvelous gem. Could I take a closer look at it? And she's, oh, but of course, you know. And he pulls out of his pocket the little jeweler's thing, you know, and he looks at it and he says, Madam, I have never seen such an exquisite um, uh, sample, example of a cubic zirconian, Which means what? It's a fake. And when we get to the throne of God, we're going to be found out whether we're what? Genuine or fake. But you know what? The world has its own way of finding out whether we're what? docamas or docamas. And Pliny said, I figured it out. If I threatened them with death, and they buckled, they were adakamas. They weren't genuine. I let them go. But those who wouldn't deny Jesus, and who were willing to die for his name, they were, they were the real thing. They were the real thing. So, he says, I therefore, at this moment, he says, because... You're going to see there's all these people involved. I'm going to be killing all these people. He says, "'I therefore postponed the investigation "'and hastened to consult you, "'for the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, "'especially because of the number involved. "'For many persons of every age, every rank, "'and also both sexes alike, "'are and will be endangered, "'for the contagion of this superstition "'has spread not only to the cities, "'but also to the villages and farms.'" There are people, he doesn't understand it, but what he's just given testimony is what? There are people getting saved all over the place. There is a widespread revival, or revival, whichever one you look at it, going on throughout Bithynia and Pontus, and I don't know how to handle this thing, so I'm just trying to kill them, but I'm going to kill all of my citizens. And I thought, Trajan, you know, you need to be brought in on this one, because I'm going to, it's going to be my head. I mean, it's one thing about killing, you know, a couple dozen, it's another thing, I'm going to be killing thousands. Because these people coming in, many of them are what? They're holding to their faith. Which means I have to what? I have to kill them. Isn't that interesting? What an awesome, I think, testimony by the, by the secular world to the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even historians, though they didn't comprehend what was going on, though they themselves weren't believers, attested to the fact that something had happened that was changing the world. That was turning the Roman Empire upside down. Rome could handle anything. They could squash, think about it, any, any nation that would rise up against them. What would they do? They destroy it. They squash it. I mean, they, they ruled with the iron fist. I mean, they were the, the, they, they were the iron. Remember, as part of Daniel's vision, that, you know, they were the iron legs and how they came and how they crushed. And there was no, no um, nation ever like them that would be like them on the earth. But when they came to the rock which was hewn from the mountain that was thrown against them, what happened? They were dashed to pieces. They couldn't deal with... A movement that was not nationalistic in nature, but rather it was what? Supernatural. It was spiritual in nature. People willing to die, not for a citizenship on earth, but for a superstition. Quote unquote. Make sense? And that's how the world looks at you today. Until they. Believe in the superstition too. <laughs> but how many people will die for superstition? All the Muslims. <laughs> all the Muslims. Uh, they don't, don't die for superstition. I mean, that's not superstition. I mean, that's just a false belief. I mean, you know, I mean, I wouldn't classify that as a superstition from that perspective. Yeah, and not all of them would die, some of them would. So, an amazing thing. So, the evidence of the resurrection. Well, first of all, it's a matter of fact. Secondly, though, more importantly to you and I, the fact is that it's also a matter of it's a matter of faith. Turn with me to, to John chapter 20, one of the um, recordings then of, of the gospel. But in John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Christ, and after this, it has been witnessed and seen, okay? And in a part of that, that, that time that we talked about earlier, where Jesus had come to the... Um, to the disciples and had shown himself to them. From 19 to 31, and I'm not going to read all the way from 19 to 31. You can read all that, but that's the whole context, okay? So from 19 to 23, Jesus is talking to the, the original. In verse 24, we begin reading about Thomas. It says, Now Thomas, called the twin, Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus had, ca- had come, when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, "Peace to you." Then he said to Thomas, Could you, I, "I don't want to. I just love this time. I mean, I think Jesus came up behind him, you know. And the rest of them you know, they're all talking, telling him, and Thomas is here, and he's saying, you know, aly, 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 you know." opening his mouth up like we do a lot of times, just kind of, just letting it ride, you know, just, rah, 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 and all of a sudden, Jesus just kind of appears behind him, you know? And I just kind of picture all the other disciples going, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> Thomas, <laughs> uh, Thomas, look behind you. What are you guys saying? And Jesus kind of tapping him on his shoulder and say, uh, Thomas, turn around. Reach here, right? So he says, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm not preaching on the deity of Christ, but what an incredible statement there, because Jesus doesn't come back and say what? I'm not, I'm not. Don't call me God. That's reserved for one and one only. I mean, think about it. When, when the person said to him, We know that you're true. And he says, Why do you call me true? There's only one true, right? But here, I think, he says, um, He says, My Lord and my God. I wouldn't even have a problem with the fact, whether he says Adonai here, I, think, I don't have a problem with him even declaring the name at this point, you know, talking about Yahweh Elohim, that that's who is here right now. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him at all. Rather, he says to him, he says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. How many of you have honestly ever seen, physically seen, Jesus. Not in a daydream, not in a nightdream, not even in a, a, a Bible picture book. Okay? <laughs> you know, them people say, oh, I've seen Jesus with a picture of him. Okay? Oh, there he was right there. He's standing behind me the entire time and I didn't notice. Um, He's having it on my shoulder. But we haven't, okay? You came to Jesus by faith. That's exactly right. In Our acceptance of the resurrection is based upon factual reports. But now you have to go to the factual reports and what? Decide whether they are truly factual. And you have to, by faith, believe. When you walked in this morning, um, depending on what time you got here, Curtis, he joined us in, in putting down the chairs, but I think everybody else probably came when the chairs were down. So when you walked in the door, there were multiple opportunities for seating. Yes? How many of you go down on your hands and knees and checked out the chairs before you sat on them to make sure that, they, that we hadn't you know, gone through with the little uh, saw and kind of every, randomly cut the, the, the legs on some of them just for fun of it so that when somebody sat, you know, it was kind of like the, uh, the, the roulette thing. You know, you kind of sat in this chair and all of a sudden, poof, ah, you got the chair. You know, you didn't do that. It was that one right there. this why no one's sitting in this row because this is one, no. And, uh, but the reality is you didn't do that by faith. You came in this morning and you what? You accepted the validity of the chair that you sat in. You accepted the fact that it was well made and that it would what? It would hold you. Do you understand? When you come to Jesus Christ and you believe in the resurrection, it is a matter of fact. It really is. It's a matter of factual history. But you have to come at it and you have to decide, do you believe that as a factual account of history. And at that point, it becomes a matter of faith. Just like we read in the book of Hebrews, where it says that faith is the evidence of things unseen. It's the substance of things hoped for. And by faith, we believe that the worlds were framed by the words of God. So the things which are came from what? That did not exist. We understand that even with creation, Though it is factual and though there is science that supports it and we can see the testimony of creation all around us, you still have to, even though it is factual, you still have to accept it based on what? Faith. Does that make sense? There are a lot of people out there who what? Do not accept creation. They will not accept the facts as they're there, but rather seek to reinterpret the facts to have it say what they want it to say, because they do not want to believe in a creator God. And so there are those who look back at the the testimonies of the witnesses, both biblical and extra-biblical, and they see what is going out there, and yet they seek to reject the validity and the historicity of Jesus Christ and even his resurrection. Do you understand? If it was any other part of history... They would accept it. There is a whole lot less testimony for much of history that people accept and they teach as fact. They don't have 600 witness accounts as they do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ which they reject. Now why do you think they do that? It doesn't fit their belief system. Or what they want the belief system to be. Because if Jesus truly is raised from the dead, not only are we going to look at the evidence, but there is a what? There are results which come. There are results which come from Jesus being raised from the dead. The first and chief of those for us that we look at is the fact that the penalty of sin has been paid. Now that's exciting for me. The penalty of sin has been paid. But what's really exciting about it is the extent of the payment. What's the extent of Jesus' payment? He died for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Stop for a moment. Okay, Don't keep reading up there. When we read that death spread to all men because all sinned, how many people do you think die? Do you th- what do you think all means there? I mean, you, I know you're quoting that, but what do you think all means? Means all, and all means? All means all, and that's all all means. You sure? So it means every, right? Okay. So when all have sinned, do you think everybody sinned? All right, well, let's make sure. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. So does that mean that all are going to stand before the judgment seat? Both believers and unbelievers, both small and great, both dead and alive, right? They're all going to stand, Okay. All, all men, resulting in condemnation. even so through one man's righteousness, righteous act, the free gift came to what? All men. Now, wait a second. Did the free gift come to all men, or did it only come to a specified few? Guess what? It only came to a specified few, or it came to all men? What does all mean? Huh? It's out there for all. Do you get it? Okay? I mean, and that's, that's, I, mean I know I'm... I seem like I'm splitting here, but I'm not splitting here. So, I mean all means all, and it either means all here and all there, or it doesn't mean all at all. Do you get it? What's that? If it's all means all, not there, but over there it's postmodernism. It's postmodernism. Or it's it's Calvinism. Anyways. So um so because the free act for free gift didn't come to all men, it only came to the elect. Okay resulting in justification of life for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous so note down in verse 14 or 19 now all of a sudden many are what disobedient what but but only many are disobedient so now you have to make a decision what does many mean down here does many mean the same as all or not so only certain people only many people are, are bad but some people aren't bad well no i mean you, you understand what i'm saying exactly right so you have to make the equative back and you can't take the money down here and the all up there you have to equate them both back up there so the point is that just as sin passed on all men when jesus christ died on the cross he died for the sins of all okay and so we read in first john 2 2 a verse that you all know very well it says and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world because god so loved the world that he what he gave his only begotten son and I, I just i i love the people who try to rewrite what world means there well very clearly understanding romans chapter 5 and bringing it in who's the world it's all men it's clearly not the world system and it's clearly not the earth it's talking about all the people on the earth and so, for God in this manner, that word so doesn't mean so, but it means in this manner, because it's hutos, it says, for God in this manner loved the world, how? That he gave his only begotten Son. This is how God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would, what? Believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans three twenty-one to 26, we read, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all... And on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate in righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be, the just, that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." So note up at the beginning again, note that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to what? To all and on all who what? Believe. Why? Because again, sin had passed on to all. But as we saw then the extent of Christ's uh, purchase, redemption, was to the whole world, it is also then limited. Though there is an extent, there is also a limit, and the limit says, it's to the one who what? Has faith in Jesus. That's exactly right. And so we saw back in verse 22, on all who believe, to the ones who have faith in Jesus. And so therefore, we have then a limit as well to this payment, and that is, it's limited to those who who believe. Romans ten says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Why? For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, some of you heard my testimony, some haven't, but I went to the church every Sunday. I, I believed that Jesus Christ was God. I believed that he died on the cross. I believed that he raised again the third day. I believed all those things, but I'm here to tell you that I wasn't a believer. Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, how can you say that you believed all these things, but yet you weren't a, a believer? There's a difference between intellectual assent, intellectual belief and understanding of something, and then what we're told to do in the scriptures, to believe in your heart. And there are many people in this country, and who Pliny, going way back thousands of years, had witnessed as well, who gave intellectual assent to what Christ Jesus had done. But when push came to shove, to how it guided and affected and controlled and determined the 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 um, oh, the course of their lives, it had no effect. Does, do you understand? They they could discuss it. They understood it. They would agree that that it was probably true, but they were not were not willing to give their life for it. I am by no means willing to ever become a Baltimore Ravens fan. I mean, I know it's mundane and it's silly, okay? And I use them as very extraneous things. Do you understand? I'm black and gold through and through. I'll never be black and purple. I mean, I just... What a weird combination of colors, anyway. Anyways, but, okay, I know, be careful. Yeah, I know. So, you you get it, I'm I'm, I'm joking, okay? But when it comes to things like that, we become dyed in the wool. I mean, last night, you know, the Alabama-LSU game, it was kind of fun to listen to people who were Alabama fans and LSU fans and guys like me who didn't have a dog in the fight, you know? I just thought it was going to be a good game, and it was, and I feel bad for you guys who were Alabama fans, you know, but it was a, it was a good fight, and in the end, I think the the better team actually lost, so, um, but, and how do, you, how do you say that? Oh, no, just based upon watching the game, so, but LSU clearly is a better team, because why? Because they won. It the depends how you look at it. So, but when it comes to that, do you understand? We are so willing to become so impassioned in everything, it's ingrained in my heart, and so I'm going to talk about it, and I'm going to live it out, well, why isn't it like that with Jesus? Why, is Jesus? why is Jesus able to be left at the door when nothing else is left at the door? You know, in our culture, one of the things that you don't want to discuss is what? Religion. Politics and religion. Politics is becoming even more open. Religion is not. And religion is becoming even more open. But not Jesus. Jesus. We're not Christianity. Isn't it amazing? I mean, think about it. They're starting to bring religion into schools, aren't they? They're starting to teach religion in schools. But not Jesus. That's exactly right. Isn't it amazing? Think about it. And so we shy away. We back off. Because we don't want to offend people. I'd rather offend somebody and have the chance for them to get into heaven than to not to offend them and be there on the jury the day when they're condemned and go into hell and realize I had the opportunity to what? To give them the truth. We will suffer for his name. That's exactly right. And the days may come in our lifetime when we really have to make that call. But are we willing to do that? Anyways, it's limited. The gift is limited to those who will believe, not intellectually, but in a committed spiritual sense, that you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And I don't know each of your hearts. All I know is I was 23 years old when reading the Word of God, I realized that I wasn't His. And that if I died at that moment, I was going to hell, even though I had grown up in the church. I mean, even though I'd spoken in the church. I'd help count the money, I was an usher, I was active in a youth group, I don't care how active you are, if it's not a true, committed relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not his. But even more exciting than, on this side of it, now hopefully, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that first step is really exciting, the penalty of sin has been paid for, right? But now, after, on this side of it, after the penalty of sin has been paid for, and you begin to realize what a worm and how disgusting and vile and everything you are, you begin to realize how, much, how exciting the second part is, and that is the power of sin has been, has been broken. Not only has he paid for the penalty of your sin, but he's destroyed the power of sin that's over you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. The very end of the chapter... The beginning of the chapter, I quoted earlier and talking about the gospel and the good news and how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and how he's buried and how he's raised again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen and he was seen by all these people. And then it goes on and talks about the, the importance of the resurrection because if you know if Christ isn't raised from the dead then you're not going to be raised and so your faith is all in vain. And so all this is going on and he, and he continues on and he talks about then the resurrection of the body and at the very end of it he talks about this mystery and I'm going to start in verse 50 for the context. He says, now I say, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mysterion, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where O place of, of death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The strength of sin there is the word dunamis. Okay, we talked about the exousia and the dunamis before. And and the dunamis is is where we get our word? Dynamite. Dynamite. The power. So the dunamis of sin, the power, the explosiveness of sin, is what? It's gone. Well, it's the law, but what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the law. He wiped out the, 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 the law. Do you understand? Not that the law is voided, but the point is when Jesus Christ came... He broke the power of all that. Sin, no longer, because of the law, has no power over you. And so in John 8, turn with me there. In John 8, Jesus says to those Jews who believed on him, and then we continue on, beginning at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, he says, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And in Galatians tells us that Jesus Christ came. In the fulfillment of time, in the fullness of time, to be born under a woman, to be born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. And that we're told in Romans 8 and there in Galatians that now we have the adoption and we have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. We are now no longer servants and slaves, now we are the children of God no longer are we to be enslaved to sin. But in Romans chapter 6 and you can go look at this later, Romans chapter 6 says that no longer shall we be under the reign or the rule, the authority of sin. And he says Paul says there, he says, do you not know that to whom you offer yourself as a slave to obey you are the one slave to whom you obey whether of sin leading unto death or of obedience leading unto righteousness? He says, but God be thanked that but though, though you were, you, when you heard the, the good news, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, you responded to it. And so no longer now are you that slave to sin. The reality then is that whenever we become enslaved again to sin, it's because why? It's because we want to. Because we volitionally chose to place ourselves back into bondage to him who has no power over us or to that which has no power over us. We know that the father of sin is who? The devil, the devil Satan. I mean, we're, we're memorizing 1 John 3, okay? And it talks about that there, and again, I have that here as a verse that you can go to as well, 1 John 3, 5 through 8, okay? And we know that Jesus Christ came to abolish that, to give us freedom, to give us power over that. The question is, are you living in the power of the resurrection? Paul says, He says, I count all things but dung, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is God of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto death. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to ask you, have you believed in your heart that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead? But as Pliny asked, as his test of Dachamos, are you willing to die for that belief? If you were placed on trial today, and they wanted evidence to prove that you were a believer, first of all, Would they even have enough evidence to prove that you were a Christian? And then secondly, if it came to you declaring by your own lips, who are you giving allegiance to, would you die, would you literally die for Jesus Christ? If they threatened to kill your family, would you deny Jesus Christ? Plenty of the younger understood. True believers wouldn't do that. And many of you heard me, I, I try to teach my that's my kids. Look at it, if someone's going to kill me and they want you to deny Jesus, you know where I'm going. You be true to faith. You be true to the Lord. And just say, Daddy, I love you, and I'll see you when I get there. Because more than likely, what's going to happen? You're going to die anyway. <laughs> you know? So you're going to be there together. Do you have intellectual assent, Or do you have a heartfelt faith? Are you applying the power of Christ's resurrection to your life? Are you experiencing victory over the power of sin? I understand struggling with sin. I understand that. I'm no different than anybody else. But I also understand where the power for victory over that sin comes from. I can do all things through Christ has strengthened me. And when I fail, when I fail to have victory, it's because I failed to wear it. to do what? Obey. Not just obey, trust. To go back and, and to go to the source of the victory and the strength. That helps me obey. Because in and of myself, I have what? I have no power. You know? I mean, I can try to obey, trust and obey, but the, really the, the, the whole source and strength of my trusting and obeying is still in in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the victory we have in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you have, in through your death, your burial, your resurrection, that you have given us victory over sin. Lord, forgive us for not applying that to our lives as we ought to. Lord, I pray that we would be um, strong in our faith, that we would stand fast in our faith. Lord, that we would... Um, we would desire to give you glory and honor and praise and we would be a, a burning witness for you in this world. Lord, that we would not um, fail because of fear of man in declaring the good news of your salvation. Lord, I pray that we would be strong if the days of persecution would come into our land. Lord, that we would be those who would be willing to be martyrs for your name and for your kingdom's sake. Lord, we do give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.